this is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day and happy to bring you another really good show. A.J. Pruszynski, the former Twins catcher, now does um, some analyst work for Fox on their Saturday games. Also does podcasts with Foul Territory. He will join me here in just a few minutes. A lot of interesting things from AJ about those early 2000s uh, Twins teams that kind of turned the corner and got that franchise going in the right direction. A bold statement about the 2002 Twins that you won't want to miss, as well as some observations on this year's Twins and uh, trying to get to the bottom of why he got booed everywhere he went in his career. Um, AJ is not for everyone, but he will be for you. It's a really good conversation with him, so hope you will enjoy that. Um, got some Twins musings after that because they are at the absolute midpoint of their season, and uh, it, is, it is a bit of a free fall right now, even though they are still technically in first place. Lynx had a good win on uh, on Tuesday that we need to get to, but first, what did I miss? Um, Minnesota United, in its never-ending seeming quest to add offensive firepower to find that striker to find that player up front to finish chances um finish being a a key word here because they have now turned to finland's all-time leading scorer uh, timu puki um in adding him as their designated player their next designated player on uh, on tuesday i think the way uh, the way that it was written in the star tribune by jerry zagoda Says it all, the lead. Minnesota United signed another striker to another designated player slot on Tuesday, um, announcing the deal for Puki. 33 years old, all-time national team leader in goals for Finland. Um, he's played the last five years in the EPL, England, England Premier, English Premier League, and the Second Division Champions League. Um, that's a champion. – I'm sorry, Second Division Championship League. Um so he's got the credentials. He's got what eighty-eight goals with Norwich City in the last you know two hundred or so appearances. He's done a ton with with Finland with the national team. Um, Thirty-eight goals and one hundred and twelve appearances for the national team. I mean, he's 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 you know thirty-three is is kind of the age where you know guys start to to reach uh, kind of kind of go down the other side. But he is certainly seems like he's got some good years left in him sounds like the loons are very excited to have him especially because you know we've looked at all the advanced stats the expected goals things like that they are just not finishing their chances and this has been an a non a non-stop quest basically since they since they got rid of uh, christian ramirez five years ago uh in 2018 it's been kind of this ongoing quest to find someone who can put the ball in the net and that is the name of the game they need someone alongside Emmanuel Reynoso to help, you know, now that Reynoso's back, they need someone to help with a little bit of offensive firepower. Maybe this is finally the answer. He does seem like he's got more credentials, more recent credentials. I mean, it's not, not just hope, not just, hey, maybe this guy fits into the system. Um, you know, Adrian Heath sounding pretty optimistic. He says, if we, if we can continue creating the opportunities as we are doing now, I feel we've got somebody who can take a fair percentage of those opportunities. Um, and obviously put them in the net. Now, he probably won't play right away. He can't play at least until the transfer window opens on July 5th, so the Loons have a couple of matches before that, including an exhibition tonight and a home Major League Soccer match against Portland on Saturday. Um, But they've got a lot of season left. They've got plenty of time to kind of sort this out. 
Maybe this is the move that at least puts them on better footing. Maybe this is the player that, you know, he's signed for a couple of years now. Maybe this is the player who can give them that spark up front. Cause man, it has been, like I said, like a five year journey to try to find that. And it is, you know, it is, they've, they've run through so many names. We can't even list them all, but, but maybe Timu Puki is the one to finally give them that, that answer up front. Speaking of scoring, the Lynx did a lot of it on Tuesday. 104 points in a win over um, over the Seattle Storm at Target Center. Big games from Nafisa Collier. She had 33 points, but maybe the bigger story, rookie Diamond Miller, number two overall pick, returning from injury, um, has been out for almost a month with that sprained ankle, had 18 points, um, an efficient night for the Lynx in the win. Not a ton of defense played in this game, but uh, when you score 104, you don't always have to play the greatest defense. Links starting to come around a little bit now this season after a tough start. That's been kind of the story for them in recent years. Sluggish start, then trying to scramble to a more respectable finish. Um, and again, with their season, plenty of time left. Only 14 games into what is the, I believe this year, a 40-game season. So the big story, Diamond Miller. Um, back for for the Lynx. They want to see what they have with her, obviously, number two overall pick. They want to know <clears throat> kind of how much of a foundational piece she will be going forward, especially with probably another pretty high draft pick coming their way in 2024 when you consider, you know, the, the, the WNBA calculates its lottery odds from last year's record and this year's record, two years in a row, and they were not very good last year. Even with the improved play this year, I don't think they're going to be great this year. I don't still see this as an above 500 team, so they're probably going to have a crack in the lottery or pretty close to it. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what Diamond Miller is able to give them. We'll see how good Nafisa Collier is down the stretch. But they are definitely playing better than they were at the beginning of the season, and good for them to see Diamond Miller back on the court. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Really happy to be joined today by AJ Przinski, former Twins catcher, longtime Major League Baseball catcher, now on the other side of the microphone doing broadcasts for Fox. AJ, you just did a Twins game the other day, I think, between the Twins and the Tigers. You do podcasting with uh, foul territory. So why don't I just have you on and and, and talk uh, talk a little baseball, talk about uh, kind of life uh, life these days. So so how you doing? I am doing great. I'm a little tired, but uh, it's a yeah. standard, pretty standard week for me uh, with the foul territory four days a week, and then uh, doing the Saturday games. A lot of a lot of bouncing around, but it's good because I love baseball. I love talking baseball, and uh, it makes for not, not doesn't keep me bored. That's for sure. You like being on that side of the microphone? Uh, it's different. It's fun. It's different. Um, you know, all the times I, I just remember when I started doing this, all the times I was mad at a reporter. <laughs> I get it because a lot of times you're running on no sleep and trying to get your job done. So, um, but it's fun because, like I said, I'm still involved in baseball. I mean, I get to talk to all the players in the game, all the people involved in baseball, and uh, it's a great way to stay in touch. And then I get to do the games on Saturday. And, uh, the foul territory has done nothing but 
the podcast and the YouTube show has done nothing but uh, help me with those broadcasts because now I know more about the players on a personal level than I ever thought I would. I want to get back to the podcast in a minute, but, but since you mentioned doing the games on Saturdays, like I said, you just did the Twins-Tigers game. You got a good look at this year's Twins team, and we, we can start with with that and can uh, content take you on a journey back to your playing days because you've had some of those you know former teammates on your on on the foul territory show not too long ago like Doug Mankiewicz. But um, as you look as you as you kind of watch that game and you prep for that game, what what do you see from a team that as we record is forty and forty and is on pace to strike out more than any team in Major League history? Um, it's weird because. So this is what I've done a few Twins games and I have a few more coming up. Uh, First, let me say I love coming to Minneapolis. I love Target Field and I still have friends in Minneapolis. And, you know, it was one of the great times of my life getting to play for the Twins. So I want people to understand that I I really did enjoy my time there, although people think I didn't for some reason. Um, But it was weird when I did a Twins game last year, they could hit and they couldn't pitch. Now it's completely flip-flop. They can really pitch, but they can't hit. And it's a lot of the same guys which is strange to me how it's flip-flop. I don't know if it's a change in philosophy from the hitting coaches or the organization, uh, but you look at a guy like Correa, he's kind of having a down year, right? If you lose Luis Arise, they needed Pablo Lopez, so I get the trade. I, I really do get it. I'm a Pablo Lopez defender, even though Arise is sitting around 400. Right. Uh, but it's just weird. Like, Kepler's kind of gone away, right? Kirilov hasn't become what they thought he'd become. Uh, Christian Vasquez, the signing, he hasn't done much. Um it's like, wait a Buxton, minute. Mer- Buxton's kind of an all Buxton's, or nothing guy now. But, but Buxton's like, you know, he's, he's hurt. He's not hurt. He's, it's always something, right? Uh, you look at Miranda, who was great for him last year. He's, he's in triple A now. Uh, it's like, man, where's the offense going to come from? And then you look up and you're like, man, they can really pitch. So Sonny Gray and Ober and all these guys are, are doing great. And the bullpen's been really good from Jax to, to Durant. To, it's so it's like, man, how does it flip flop in one year like that? And, the strikeouts are what is, is puzzling to me because this wasn't a team that struck out a lot. And then this year, it's like, I mean, they had Sano and all those guys. You'd be like, man, this team must strike out a ton. And they really didn't. And now it's like, wait a minute, why are they striking out so much? So that's something that's got to be asked in the Twins organization. Did they flip-flop something in their thinking or the mentality? But I, I, they're, they're in first place. Yes. So what else do you want? <laughs> I mean, That's true. I mean, be, I think people are waiting for – waiting for a little bit more offense at this point. So I think you make good points. A lot of those guys that were having better years last year have struggled to a certain degree this year. But the starting pitching has been tremendous. You mentioned a couple guys, and then other guys like Joe Ryan, who's been pretty good this year for them, and just how that's how that's come on. And the strikeouts are a puzzle. And I know some of that's just how the game has changed. More players strike out now than, than they used to. Or you know, philosophically, people are trying to elevate the ball more. But... You know, in your your playing days, you never struck out. I think more than eighty times in a year. You struck out maybe once every nine plate appearances. You were pretty hard to strike out. Did you? I mean, some of that mentality was changing even as you were kind of getting towards the end of your career. But how did you approach the the value of an at bat? You know, strike out otherwise. Well, I hated striking out. I I I hated it. It was like it was like a loss. I was like, man, I lost to the pitcher because he struck me out. So that was. That was one of the things, but you also have to understand, I came up at a different time, right? So I had Tom Kelly, and yes. you know what Tom Kelly hated? Strikeouts. Yes. You know what else Tom Kelly hated? You couldn't put the ball in play, and you couldn't hit the ball the other way, and you couldn't bunt, you couldn't hit and run, you couldn't do all the things that have kind of gone to the wayside, which is, it was a different era, and I get it. People love home runs, and listen, when you hit a home run, there's no better feeling in the world than being like, man, I just hit a home run. I trot around the bases, and everyone's cheering for me. So 
I, I get it. Um, but you can ask anybody that came up when I came up and I never want to be like, Oh, when I play it, but that was the right. way it was. If you couldn't catch the ball and if you couldn't hit and run, you couldn't, bunt. I mean, David Ortiz, perfect example. You couldn't, didn't have a position and he couldn't really bunt, couldn't really run, couldn't really do anything. So the twins let him go. Cause they were like, well, he might hit us 25 homers, but we're not, it's not worth paying him the money because he doesn't play a position and he doesn't really do anything else. Well, now he's in the hall of fame. Uh, but it, it just was a different era and a different mentality. And I always just looked at it as like, man, this guy beat me and I didn't want to lose to anybody. So striking out was like the worst thing. And you figured out a way to put the ball in play. And whether that was, and it led to more contact, it led to more action, but it also led to weaker contact. And sometimes you swung at bad pitches. And so there's a, it, I get it. It's a two way street and you got to look at it from both sides. Uh, but it was just the way we were brought up. I think if you talk to any of those twins guys back then, I mean, Tom Kelly would tell you, if you strike out a hundred times, you're not playing for me. You're out. You're going back right. to Salt Lake. So it was just the way they did it. And it worked. And it worked. And you're right. And it worked to a large degree, especially as you guys kind of came up and, you know, thinking about 2001, 2002 and 2003, especially 22 uh, and three, we were, you were rising to prominence. The team was winning, you know, two division titles right there. You won the playoff series in 2002. Last time the teams won a playoff series, by the way, was 2002. It's been a while. They've lost 18 straight playoff games. Um, maybe we don't need to get too deep on that, but just how much, how much fun was kind of that rise? Cause it was kind of the time of contraction. It was a lot of the guys who kind of came up together, formed the core of that team. I remember uh, coming up, for good in 2000 and we weren't very good. And I remember looking around and I, it was, it was a ton of guys. It was Tory Hunter, Corey Kosky, Jock Jones, uh, Minkiewicz came up that year. Um, it was just a lot of guys that we played with and we had won every year, Christian Guzman, Luis Rivas. It was guys that we had all played with and we had won in the minor leagues. Every stop we had been in, either in the playoffs or, or won a lot of games and had we never really had a chance to finish it off because we would all get moved around during the seasons. But it was always like, okay, we got a good team here. We just need to figure this out. In 2000, I think at the end, it kind of started coming around a little bit. You could kind of sense a different feel amongst the team. And uh, we got rid of some guys at off season. Um, sadly, we got, I think Coomer was gone that year. Uh, I think Matt Lawton stuck around maybe for one more year. Uh, but it was, it was almost like, they're like, okay, we're flipping this team now to you guys. And we ran with it. And, um, in 2001, we didn't make the playoffs, but we, we got off to a great start and we're like, we can play, we can play with these people. And I remember in 2001, we're in spring training and people come up to us, the reporters and say, well, man, you know, you're in the Indians division and they win every year and yada, yada, yada. The White Sox have spent all this money and we're like, and they're like, don't you feel sorry that you guys don't have any money? We're like, no, we're in the big leagues. We're going to go out and play. And we're going to be good, damn it. And uh, we were. And we didn't make the playoffs that year. And then 2002, it came. And we're like, we're figuring this out. And we, you know, we kind of ran away with the division in 2002. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the losses that you always, as a player, you look back and say, man, the losses haunt you. But that 2002 ALCS, I mean, that I think that'll haunt me till the day I, I go into the grave. Um, because we we really hammered the Angels my whole career. And, and for some reason, we just got some bad breaks. And, Adam Kennedy hit three home runs in one game. It was rally. Like, it was the rally monkey. Year. The rally I mean, was, monkey year. I mean, it was just so many things that happened. And listen, I give the Angels a ton of credit because they were a really good team. They went out, beat the Giants. Their pitching was outstanding. They played defense and they played the game the way first to third, bunning, doing all the little things. And they had some guys, Troy Gloss and you know Salmon and those guys, Garrett Anderson in the middle of the lineup. 
uh, good pitching, great relief core with, with K-Rod and, and Percival and those guys at the back end. So it, it was just one of those losses where, you know, and, and uh, Minkiewicz and Tori and I have talked about that. It was Gardy's first year as manager. And I right. love Gardy. We always say if we would have had TK that year, we think we would have probably won the whole thing. And it's easy to say that because we didn't and we'll never know. But TK just brought something different to the table. And listen, we all hated TK at one point in our lives. If you were a young kid, <laughs> if you were a young kid and you came up in the Twins, you hated Tom Kelly at some point because he was, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but he was kind of a <laughs> to a lot of us. Um, but then once you broke through that and he treated you as a major league player, which yeah. took a lot of time, he was great. And, uh, and a lot of things I, I know I've talked to again, Tori, Latroy, Eddie, Danny Hawking, all those guys. And I say, you know, TK said a lot of things that we thought were crazy at the time, but he was right on most of it. And a lot of it is you'd be amazed how much you teach. Now I teach my son. I'm like, man, T, that was a TK lesson. Like hit the cutoff, man, know how to bunt, know how to take the base. Know how to, like, these were all Tom Kelly things. And it's, it's amazing how many other people in baseball just, they don't, they don't care about that stuff. You got traded after the 2003 season. You go to the Giants. You have a good year there. You go to the White Sox. You win a World Series in 2005. You have a career where you have over 2,000 hits, a really good career. Everywhere you go, though, AJ, you got booed. I never got it. What What was that? Why? <laughs> There's an old saying in sports. Uh, people don't boo you. You didn't do something to break their heart a lot of times. So, okay. Okay. I, I mean, that's why I look at it in Minnesota. I, I got traded. I didn't leave yeah, because of money. That's the one that never made sense to me. Like you got traded. You didn't ask to go somewhere else. As far as I know, I'm still mad. Terry Ryan, if you're listening, I'm still mad at you, by the way. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I get it. Uh, But it was, it was one of those things that that probably, I got booed a lot of places and none of them really bothered me. Minnesota always bothered me because like I said, I love my time in Minnesota. I, I enjoyed my, I mean, that's where I became kind of like a, not only a major league player, but kind of like a man. I would, you know, you get called up at 21 and you're like, Oh, I, I got this. I got this all figured out. Then you go up and down and then you finally can make it and you're like, okay. And then you spend time in a city and you kind of become attached to the city and, and it's your first organization. So you think obviously stupidly that I'm going to be a twin for life. I'm going to be Kirby Puckett, Ken Herbeck, right? Well, right. Guess what? Then you get traded and you're like, your heart's like broken. Cause you're like, gosh, I did everything. We made the playoffs. We were great. You know, I, I, I was, I, it just, and then it opens your eyes to, to, to reality of the business of baseball um, but yeah, that, that one always stung me when I would go back to Minnesota and I never understood it. Cause I, I mean, I, I saw someone the other day on Twitter, right. You know, I got traded for Bonzer, Liriano and Nathan, right. And then they yeah. flipped, they flipped Liriano for Eduardo Escobar, who then flipped them for uh, Duran, the close. Yeah. So, so that trade is still, so that's why I always joke That's around that I, should, yeah. that I should have a statue there because, uh, you, <laughs> you know, for, for 20 years later, I'm still affecting the twins organization. <laughs> Well, I mean, and your homer in, I believe, game five against the A's kind of gave you the cushion, right? That got you over the hump in that series because yeah. it was, I think it gave you the 5-1 lead and then Guardado needed all of that. And then oh, they needed all, man, I, that's about as nervous as I've ever been. Um, gosh, because we, we were winning. It was like, oh, this is over. Eddie was so good that year. And then all of a sudden it was like walk, base hit, broken bat. Mark Ellis hit a three-run homer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was oh, gosh, the bases are loaded, and who's – oh, my gosh. And then Denny Hawking goes and makes that play. Another thing that I think people forget, Denny Hawking got hurt in that celebration. Yeah. yeah. And he would have definitely helped us against the Angels because he loved playing against the Angels. He always got big hits against the Angels. He was he from was out, out there. Because, he was from out there, yeah. right? Yeah, he's from right there. So he broke his uh, finger. Uh, I think Jock stepped on him by accident um, in that celebration, and that's kind of one of the reasons. If you ever watched when I was in a celebration, I always – 
stayed on my feet because that Denny Hawking uh, really? hurt his finger. And I was scared to death to get on the ground because you just never know what was going to happen. So, but I mean, you are, you were booed other places. You're pretty, you were pretty outspoken, I guess, but you, you, like you said, you broke other people, you broke, you broke teams hearts too along the way. Like, how did you, how did you deal with it? You know, not just Minnesota, but other places. Did you kind of feed off that energy or how did you approach that? Oh, I loved it. I love, oh, I love it. It was great because you know, the best part, my teammates loved it even more. They would say, oh man, we're going to Anaheim. He's going to get booed. Listen to this. ovation. <laughs> we're going here. Listen to that. We're going to Minnesota. Or we're going to Cleveland or wherever it was. They're like, listen, who's going to be better today? And um, he, it was great. I, I loved it because it, 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 it fueled me it, as a player. It fueled me because I was like, okay, these people, you, you don't like me now. Watch what the hell I'm about to do to y'all now. It's about to get real. Uh, so I, I, I live for it. And uh, I was made a joke that, man, if I went to a stadium, they didn't boo me, then I wasn't doing something right. So let's go, boys. Like, bring it on, fans. <laughs> uh, but like I said, the one in Minnesota, it always hurt because I, I, I have nothing against that organization and nothing against the people there or any of that. And you mentioned a lot of your old teammates and you've had, like I said, some of them on the podcast recently. You had Minkiewicz on not too long ago. I think you guys had Guardy on. I'm not sure if you were part of that one or not. And you've had, you know, Carlos Gomez, not a former teammate of yours, but obviously an ex, an ex twin. Um, how much do you, how much do you still keep in touch with those guys? And is it kind of fun to reminisce with those guys now that you have this platform? You know, it's funny is I probably talk to my twins guys almost more than I talk to like the White Sox guys, even okay. though we won a World Series. Because for some reason, when you come up with guys, when you come up with Tori and Jock and Minkiewicz and uh, I even there's a guy named Israel Paez who was a minor league buddy of mine that he lives in Orlando now that I still talk to all the time. And Latroy and I saw Denny last week. Uh, I talked to Doug all the time. Uh, I, I talked to Tori about a month ago. We were in, I was in Dallas. So he would try to get me to come to his barbecue restaurant in Dallas. Of course. Yeah. Um, so I, it's weird. I actually talked to those guys a ton. Um, because when you're 19, 20, 21 years old and you're grinding in a ball and double a, you become so tight with these guys, Brian Buchanan, another guy I saw not long ago. Um, it's just like, gosh, these are the guys that you, 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 you become like this with because you're all struggling at the same time with ups and downs, trying to make it. And we, none of us had any money. And it was like, how are we, where are we going to eat? We're going to hang out and do all these things. So it's almost a different bond with those guys uh, than like in, in 2005 guys. I mean, I still talk to a ton of those guys too, but we were, you know, most of us had already made it at that point. So right. it was a little bit of a different thing. It was more of a professional relationship. And, and I love those guys. I, I do. But the, the twins guys was more of a personal relationship. We all lived in Fort Myers. We all went to dinner, played golf, and went fishing every day, all offseason. And, and so it was just a different feeling and a different relationship you have with those guys than than, than any other team. A couple final thoughts for you, AJ Brzezinski, really enjoying chance to catch up. Um, biggest change in baseball this year has obviously been the pitch clock. It's changed the game dramatically i love it um what what's been your i mean as you've watched the game and did you imagine it would have this impact and, and just what's your impression of it so far i love it i think listen as a broadcaster if games are under three hours yeah, right let's get it down to under two hours if you can. uh <laughs> the only thing is it, it makes it hard as a broadcaster the first couple games because it's quick everything is i mean we did the twins game the other day and the first inning was like seven pitches it was i think like a minute and 25 seconds you're like well, i don't even get to talk about starting pitcher because the inning was over which is great uh, and I think the fans have really taken to it. I think TV people love it because the, the games they can, they can, it's kind of like soccer, right? The soccer game, you know, is going to take two hours and that's it. Yeah. Well, you can pretty much book it. The baseball game is going to be between two thirty and three hours. So, you know, when they put on the, 
the schedule on a TV, three hours, you know, twins at White Sox. Right. It's going to be in that three hours. So and that used to be a before, myth. That used to, oh, used to be, it was, you could blow away past that. Yeah. It was the biggest lie of all time. So I, I think it's, it's been great. I love the pace. It's brought back more action. It's brought back more of the things that went, like I said, when I came up that we did and I, I, I love it. I think, I think all the rules they've, I think, I think the only problem I have is when it gets to the postseason and it gets deeper into these games, will they be a little more gracious on some of the timing? Because that's going to, because the, the postseason games, we don't want to rush through the postseason games. We want to let them breathe, let the big moments organically happen instead of, Oh my gosh, I, I got to get up there and I got to get a hit against the closer and, and then I need to take a breath and I already used my timeout. I can't take another timeout. God forbid. So I, I think there needs to be a little bit more leeway as we get deeper into the season and into the postseason when the games start meaning more and the pressure ratchets up. Yeah, I would hate to see like a World Series game decided because someone wasn't ready at eight seconds. Like I would, I, at the very be. least, I think I think the rules need to stay the same in the postseason. But I think you're right that if there's a little bit more of a give and take, if there's if you're off by a second, you're not going to get it called on you because those moments are bigger. And sometimes it does take. I don't know. I haven't been in those situations, but you have. You probably know that sometimes you need to gather yourself a little differently, and those moments just are different than one of one sixty two, right? Absolutely. Remember the Bryce Harper home run? That doesn't happen. Yeah. Because I think it was 45 seconds between pitches. He calls timeout. It gives the time, right? And the, the crowd is like slowly, uh, right? And then he hits the home run and place goes crazy, obviously, in the NLCS. But that, that moment doesn't happen because there's no time for him to think about it or the pitcher or the crowd to grow. It just, oh, wait, hurry up. We got to throw another pitch. Saw on Twitter the other day, your son's got some catching gear. Is he, is he following, any, following in your footsteps? Oh, he's trying. He's trying. Uh, he's 16. He's going to be a junior. He's a pretty good little player. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Right, listen, it, is that, is so that fun for is that fun for you? No, no, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's nerve wracking as hell. I'm much more nervous when he has <laughs> to get in at bat than I ever was when I had because I can control it. When you when you're when you're a dad and and you're a coach, you can't control what the kids do and you can't control what other people do. So when it was on me, I was like, yeah, fine, I can handle this. But when I'm watching. And then you, you, I know I have no control and it's, that's the part I think that all parents go through is, but especially when you play, you're like, okay, I, I know what I would do in this at bat, or I know how I would approach this at bat and to, to watch a kid have to go through it. And, and it's different now too, because one, he has a name on his back, right? So people yeah. see him and they think they're playing against me when they're not. Um, and people always come up to me like, oh, good luck. I'm like, I'm not playing. Uh, right, I, we'd be we'd be having a much better chance if I was. I promise you, right? Like, kind of joking around because I've been through it. I know what the moments are right. about, and these kids they don't. And, but they're very fortunate now because you know these kids go and play in national tournaments. And they get to, to, to experience things I never got to experience when I was in high school and, and that age. So they're they're very fortunate. I think that's why the the players are better physically and and a lot of times maturity wise because they've seen more, been exposed to more. Uh, fundamentally they're a little bit less cause there's less practice time, but you gotta, you, again, you give and take with it. Um, but yeah, ba- baseball is hard and I don't want ever people, people to ever forget that how hard baseball really is. Final question. This is back to baseball, back to your career, favorite, favorite pitcher to hit against and least favorite pitcher to hit against. Oh, geez. My fa- oh, man. I don't even know a favorite pitcher. Gosh, I don't even know. I, you know what? I'm going to say Mark Burley just cause you'll get pissed that I said that. Um, <laughs> Speaking of someone uh, who worked fast, he didn't need a pitch yeah. clock. No, he was great. Um, and then my I, my least favorite was a guy named BJ Ryan, who was a closer. Yeah, uh, I think I was zero for ten with nine strikeouts off of him. And wow. um, 
I hit a ground ball to the pitcher and I ran and I asked him for the ball and he was laughing because he knew the, <laughs> he knew the, 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 the numbers. And I saw him at, a, we were in an all-star game together and he walked in and I ran away. He's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, if I look at you, I'm going to turn to stone. So he's like, what do you mean? I go, cause you're my kryptonite. And so I, I would always, he'd come by me and I'd run away. And thought it was kind of funny, but uh, it just, for some reason there's like certain dudes that you just, I don't know. I, there was a twin, Craig Breslow. I think I was over 14 off of him, and I hit 12 line drives that were caught. I'm like, dude, every, and then we were teammates. Right. He's like, you know you're over 14 off me. I'm like, yeah, but I hit 12 piss missiles off you, and they were all caught. He's like, doesn't <laughs> matter, over 14. I'm like, true. <laughs> it all evens out sometimes, unless that's a small small sample size worked against you in that case. Well, AJ Brzezinski, really appreciated this uh, this chance to catch up. Best of luck with everything you're doing right now, and uh, and take care down the road. All right, Michael. Thanks for having me, buddy. Great stuff from AJ Pruszynski. We can see why he is now talking for a living. Um, lots of good things to say. Interesting thoughts on the 2002 season. I know that one probably sticks with a lot of players. The Twins won the division series by upsetting the A's, and then they were up 1-0 in that series with the Angels before everything fell apart, and they lost those final four games of that series. But interesting of Pruszynski to say that he thinks they would have won it all that year if TK, Tom Kelly, had still been the manager. I don't think there's any disrespect to Gardenhire, Ron Gardenhire, but uh, you know it was his first year. TK had won two World Series before that. So something to think about, something I'd never really necessarily thought about You know, if TK had still been manager that year just because that year went so well. But interesting that Pruszynski still thinks about that. Interesting that he and his teammates still talk about that. We talked about the Twins uh, with Pruszynski, and you know he's him saying you know you can't really argue with results. They are still in first place. While that is true, they have limped to the midpoint of the season, forty and forty-one now on the year, um, a half game ahead of the Cleveland Guardians. Still, you know, still, uh, still technically ahead. Still on pace to set the all-time Major League record for strikeouts in a season. They only had five last night, but they still lost to Atlanta. This offensive approach just is not working. They scored two runs again on uh, on Tuesday. That is 30 times this season that they've been held to two or fewer runs. That is almost 30 uh, that's 37% of the games. That's almost 40%, almost two out of every five games. They are scoring two or fewer runs. You cannot exist that way. Something needs to change in their approach. Something needs to change in how they are trying to go about hitting because a half of a season is plenty of a sample. Like Pruszynski was saying, a lot of guys who have track records or a lot of guys who had success last season haven't been getting it done this year. Carlos Correa, Max Kepler, Jose Miranda down in the minors again. Alex Kirilov hasn't broken out in a big way. Some of this is just, you know, maybe natural, um, you know, natural regression, whatever you want to call it. Some of it, I think, though, is approach. They need to change how they are going about playing the game. Um, David Popkins, their hitting coach, something is not working here. Some message is not getting through to the players. Something with the approach is not right. Something about that needs to change in the second half of the season because I don't think the pitching can be as good as it has been. Starting pitching has been awfully good, but Joe Ryan got rocked on Tuesday. It will not probably be as good as it was in the first half of the year. The bullpen being held together sometimes by string. Well, one of those strings came apart on Tuesday. Brock Stewart, who has been probably their second best relief pitcher. Maybe not even probably. He might have even been their best relief pitcher so far this year. He and Joan Duran have been among their two you know, really good dependable relievers. He is on the injured list now. 
elbow situation, so that one is one to watch. They are going to need flat-out more offense to be good in the second half of the season. We've seen no evidence of any consistency so far, so we need to see evidence of a change in approach in the second half of the season if things are going to change. That'll do it for me today. Some good stuff coming up later in the week. Star Tribune publisher Steve Grove, new publisher of the Star Tribune, will join me on Thursday's show to talk about how he views the world of sports, how that pertains to newspapers, his own background in sports, and plenty of other stuff. So look for that on Thursday's show. Expecting to have Chris Hine on Friday to preview NBA free agency as well, with that heating up at that point, too. A lot of Carl Anthony Towns chatter. He was just the, the subject of a GQ article. ESPN has him, you know, rumored going to the Knicks for Julius Randle and three number one picks. Sign me up for that. I don't know about you, but sign me up for that. We'll probably talk with Chris Hine more about that on Friday's show. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.